We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you. And how's everybody doing? It is Thursday evening. We are five days into the 2023 calendar year. Out here in the Central Valley, we've got plenty of rain, which feels great. I love the rain. Absolutely adore it. Maybe if I lived someplace like the Northwest, maybe I'd be tired of it, but I love it. Anytime I can hear rain out the window, I see rain on the forecast. Anytime it's overcast, cloudy, chance of rain, I'm always in a good mood. I always just, I I light up. I love it. I don't know if anybody else out there is like that, but I just, I absolutely love the rain. I believe the Bay Area right now is going through one of those (laughs) atmospheric rivers, which maybe that's a little too much rain. We've had some fun rain events at the house. I live at a stand. I live in a standard Central Valley track home just down the street from Clovis North High School, Granite Ridge Middle School, Clovis Community College. Those are about a quarter of a mile away from me. Um, it's a cool place to live. I love it. Um, but for some reason, the I mean, I guess you could say the plumbing, the, ir- the not the irrigation, the drainage for my street just is not the greatest. So when it like if it dumps rain and it's got to be a a lot of rain, I mean, it's got to be got to be a lot. Um, It would have to rain hard all day for this to happen. But I've had my street flood to where like the water's edge is halfway up my driveway. And it's like I've got this little river running through my neighborhood. It's happened a few times since I've lived here in the last about five years. So obviously that's too much rain, but I do love the rain. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Um. Before we get into today's podcast, obviously, um, what's been on everybody's football mind as of late is um, Bills defender Demar Hamlin, who was, if I if I did my research correctly, experienced what might have been a one in a million incident against the Bengals on Monday night. 
He was, ba- he was basically hit in exactly the right spot at exactly the right time to stop his heart. And from the videos I looked up, from what I knew, from what I've seen, the chances of that happening are just, it needs to be in the smallest little pinpoint at the smallest fraction of time. It, 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 it's just unbelievable how how many things had to go right for that to happen. I and mean, obviously when I say right, I don't mean right, right. I just mean for that to happen. All these things had to happen in this exact moment. It's like if the entire dartboard disappeared and all you had was the bullseye and it was going to come by at 100 miles an hour and you had to hit it with a dart. is like the equivalent of, of what happened. And that might even be easier than, than what actually happened. But, I mean, DeMar died on the field. His heart stopped beating. Luckily, and this makes me proud because uh, my time in the military, I was a medical officer. I was in charge of combat medics and where they went and what they did. Um, much brighter, much better men than I. Um, again, as the officer in charge, you're kind of like, you know less if on purpose in terms of treating patients so that you can manage the situation in terms from a from a from a planner's point of view they don't want like if if there were let's say i was deployed and we had what's called a mass casualty event where a lot of people have gotten hurt they don't want me getting down and trying to treat patients they want me managing the situation make sure making sure each patient is where it needs to be um a lot of stuff goes into it a ton of stuff we won't get into that I have a very special affinity for lifesavers, for first responders, for medics, for EMTs, for for doctors, for any of that. It's just it just gave me a huge appreciation for it. And to know that those medical personnel were on that field thinking this game was going to be the same as any other game that they've ever experienced. There were probably medical personnel on that field that have been to hundreds of football games, not realizing that this was the one where they were going to have to save someone's life. And by all accounts, uh, DeMar's not out of the woods yet, but by all accounts, they did. And it's been said that his heart stopped. They brought it back. They performed CPR. CPR, by the way, is done right, is an incredibly intensive and exhausting thing to do. People will, medical, if there's more than one medical personnel on site, they will switch off so that it stays effective. They kept his heart going. They um, attached an electric defibrillator. Uh, also known as an AED, they they got his pulse to a point where they felt comfortable with getting him onto an ambulance and then getting him to the hospital. And when it comes to brain function, organ function, key, having any chance of your body ever returning to normal, you when you have one of those cardiac arrests, your heart, you have to be treated right then. Every minute something is going wrong with your body. Your blood's no longer flowing. You're no longer getting any oxygen. You are dying so and quickly. So the fact that they got there and did their job so fast just makes me so damn proud for them and happy for them that they were able to contribute like that. Now, again, Damar's not out of the woods. Um, he is getting better. He uh, regained consciousness, I guess you could say, for the first time today since it happened on Monday. Um, he's starting to be able to breathe slowly on his own. It it seems at this point like he's the arrow is pointing up. But again, you never know with the human body and, and what could happen. 
Um, but man, I mean, that really puts the game in perspective so quickly. You know, you think football's important, and then you see a man literally drop dead on the field on live TV, and you're like, wow. And, and it, the game was probably not as quickly canceled as it should have been, but I, I'm not here to bitch about that. It's The game was canceled. Nobody cared about the game anymore. There was no way a player would be able to, after seeing that, would be able to play. Um, it was just a pretty incredible event, and I don't mean incredible in a good way. Just we I've never seen that before. How often do you see something on a football field that you've never seen before, something that's that serious that instantly dwarfs all importance of the game? Pretty unbelievable um, that it all happened. And I, obviously, the one of the greatest stories to come out of it is DeMar Hamlin had created this toy drive. I don't know when he created it, but it was before the game, obviously. And it had a, fi- a, a financial goal of like $2,700 that hadn't even been met yet. And I believe as of right now, that toy drive is up to $7.5 million, which is just awesome. And I, and I can't wait for him to pull out of this and be able to see that. I mean, the dude's going to break down in tears. You just know it. And uh, so just, I mean, obviously it's just to me, no point in talking football without mentioning that because it, it's just, it's just changed the landscape of football for the time being. And it will be talked about all weekend long from one game to the next, especially when the bills play. It's just, uh, it's just a pretty, unbelievable event and uh like i said hopefully things continue to progress forward hopefully it gets better but a huge shout out to those medical personnel for being there being competent doing their job and possibly uh saving demar hamlin's life it's uh that's nuts all right I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the 49ers week 18 against the cardinals uh there's just not a whole lot to lot to take from it when you look at where the 49ers are you look at where the Cardinals are I mean just if you're just looking at the players that didn't participate in Thursday's practice defensive end Zach Allen wide receiver Robbie Rob, uh, Robbie Anderson uh, safety Chris Banjo linebacker Zayvon Collins cornerback Antonio Hamilton running back James Connor wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins who's already been ruled out defensive end Jonathan Ledbetter and quarterback Colt McCoy the Arizona Cardinals should be starting quarterback David Blau, who you might know from the Lions Hard Knocks series. Um, it's it's going to it should be a fairly just saying that seems like the biggest jinx. I'll, I'll tap a table for you guys. If the four, we'll put it this way, and it's very similar to the Raiders, but even more so, if the 49ers find a way to struggle against the Cardinals, then they have bigger problems in playoff seeding. They're already going to the playoffs. They're locked into the number two and number three seed. So, But in, in the current format that the Cardinals find themselves in, they should very much not be an issue when it comes to the 12-4 the and four 49ers versus the 4-12 and 12 Arizona Cardinals. I know we like to talk about trap games, but this, especially after that Raiders game, seems even more... One, the 49ers still know that they're competing for playoff seeding, and the Cardinals are just this shell of themselves that who knows really what you're going to get. And not to mention the fact that they're coming to Levi's Stadium. 
it, the conditions are not going to favor a quarterback. It's supposed to be wet. It's supposed to be rainy. And uh, it, it's it's just one of those games that both teams are just probably going to be eager to get over with. Now, and like I said, the 49ers still have plenty to play for. They're still, they need to win this game to maintain their number two seed. There is a way where they could lose it but that and, and still get it, but that seems rare. Um, if the 49ers beat the Cardinals on Sunday, they will uh, they will be they would have sweep swept the NFC West six and zero for the first time since 1997, and the first time since the NFC West was uh, was realigned in 2002. So huge accomplishment. The 49ers are also if should they win, they'll be eight and zero at home, which is the best mark uh, at Levi Stadium, and it would match the the best home record for the NFL this season, which Dallas and Minnesota are also both, both eight and no. So still plenty to play for. There's, there's players out there trying to, uh, trying to chase some records. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so instead of talking too much on the card, not to mention, I guess one of the only little caveats of the, 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 uh, the Cardinals game is I feel like I've said chargers. I feel like I, I just realized I may have said Chargers instead of Cardinals a couple times. I hope not. It's J.J. Watt's last game in the NFL, which is, uh, you know, sad, I guess. You know, you're talking about one of the most dominant players the sport has ever seen, especially at his position, um, finally making his exit after 11 seasons, I believe. I mean, the dude's career is, is unbelievable. He's played in 150 games. The dude has two interceptions to himself, which is fun, which is funny. The guy's made 581 total tackles, 192 tackles for loss, 315 quarterback hits, 112.5 sacks. I mean, when you look at it like that, yeah, I know it's over the course of a time, but that's averaging at least 10 sacks a season. For for the course of his career. That's pretty unbelievable. I think the dude has scored like eight touchdowns over the course of the of his career in various roles. I mean he's he's truly a legend and uh and I, and it will be cool to see him for what will be his, his final game in the NFL. So something to look forward to there. So instead of focusing too much on the Cardinals, which like we said, is, there's just not a lot to take from that. The 49ers should, they're favored by, I believe, more than two touchdowns. They should just easily get the job done and and move, and move and they can do it in a way to where they stay healthy for the playoffs. They just have the ammunition. They have the firepower to be able to do that. So what I decided to do is rather than spend time focusing on the Cardinals game, we would take a look at the regular season as a whole. And I would go ahead and give out my own regular season 49ers awards. And these are not curveballs. This is not, these are not, they won't surprise you. They're just my 49ers regular season awards, which no matter what happens against the Cardinals, there really isn't anything that was going to change my mind in terms of these rankings. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Let me move this over here. I have so many damn tabs open. So if there's at any point where I'm like talking about someone and I kind of have to pause or whatever to either find a tab or open a new one or something. I mean, I've just got stuff up the wazoo. So team MVP, 
Team MVP. So here's here's the categories that I have established. Team MVP, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, special teams MVP. And then I went into some risers and some fallers. And then we'll just talk overall talent on the roster and kind of who's emerged as just a key player and just kind of give little shout outs to, to other people on the roster. But obviously, or at least I feel it's obvious for team MVP. I feel that no one else can be, can be chosen other than Nick Bosa. I mean, what I love about this story is he is what he said he was going to be, you know, like last year, his entire off season was spent recovering from a torn ACL. And then he had the season and got through it healthy, which is great. Obviously that's what you want more than anything, but he got through the season perfectly healthy, still looked great. Didn't, annihilate the stat sheets like I guess we were used to him seeing but you still of a very respectable season I mean last year he set his sack record but everybody knew as he was going through that season as whether it was as a rookie whether it was the 2021 season or the 2022 season it, well in terms of the 21 season you knew that there was more to get from Nick Bosa so it was like okay if he can be this good in the season back from a torn ACL What's he going to do when he comes back, you know, when he gets an entire another year to prepare? And that's what he talked about in the offseason. He talked about the fact that, man, I did not have to spend this entire offseason uh, rehabbing from an NFL and preparing for getting back into the game. I was able to just focus on being in the best shape of my life. And subsequently, we got the best version of Nick Bosa we've ever seen, uh, the best version of Nick Bosa the NFL has ever seen, and easily – one of the absolute premier pass rushers in the NFL at this point. You could make a case for him being the absolute best pass rusher in the NFL. Um, there's some other great ones out there, so it's not like a shoe in But to me, it, it, choosing Nick Bosa as the 49ers team MVP was was easy. He's He leads the NFL in sacks with 17 and a half um, with uh, a game to go. He leads the NFL in quarterback knockdowns with 28. He leads the NFL with quarterback pressures with 55 um, in terms of basic statistical pressures. This is his, in, in terms of pro football focus, this is his best season in nearly every way. Uh, it's his highest grade of a 90.9, which is absolutely elite. Um, he's putting together his best run defense season, actually second best at 81.6 out of 100. This is far and away his best tackling year at 70.5. And then his pass rush grade is 90.9, his best in that. And his coverage grade, as funny as that is to think about, is a 71.3, which is the best since his rookie year. So in terms of an entire season, rolling it all together, this is the best Nick Bosa we've ever had. He's doing it in a contract year. He's done it two years in a row. He's done it in three out of the four years. And it's just it's going to be so easy for the 49ers to just – Pay the man. Like it's you don't need to start a hashtag. Pay Nick Bosa. You don't need to advocate for the guy. The guy has done everything on the field he could possibly do to get to this position and more. And he is going to get paid a lot, a lot of money in essentially three years of playing. Because obviously missed the 2022 season. Nick Bosa has 153 tackles, 55 tackles for loss, 105 quarterback hits and 42 sacks in what's essentially three years. That's pretty damn impressive. So 
I'm assuming he's going to get somewhere in the in the arena of, of $30 million, $250 million. <laughs> You know, it's going to look like a quarterback contract, but for a defensive end. And no one's going to care. No one's going to be the wiser because he's just that damn good. And the 49, this team would be so different without him, so much less effective. One of the best defenses the NFL has ever seen would be so much less threatening without Nick Bosa. And that, to me, is the definition of MVP when the team would just simply uh, would just simply lose their identity or one of their primary identities without him. And, and that's Nick Bosa to me. It's just unbelievable how good he is at football. And just go see him in person and, and feel like an inferior form of human being. The dude is just an absolute thoroughbred silverback that just annihilates some of the biggest, most athletic dudes on the planet for his profession, which is, you know, if you see offensive linemen and what they look like and and how freaky they are, and then know that Nick Bosa destroys those people, it just makes no sense. If, you know, like Nick Bosa, Trent Williams, those type of guys, when the Bible talks about like Goliath being a giant, he was probably like those guys, which to a little David would seem like a giant, but either way, we're just talking about freak human beings that would rule the rule the world no matter what year you're talking about. So Nick Bosa, regular season, team MVP. Now we're moving on to offensive MVP. Now, I could have gone a few different ways with this one, but to me, Christian McCaffrey was the easy choice. Easy choice. You're just talking about a guy who has completely transformed what this offense is and what it what it means. This season, and I'm going to include the Carolina games because, one, he was playing well for Carolina. We'll split them up. I'll, I'll, I'll split them. Actually, let's start with the 49ers games. Since he's been with the 49ers, in the nine games he started, he has 149 carries for 701 yards in nine games. So you're talking about a guy who, on, over the course of a full season, would be, would be right around the 1,300-yard mark. He has 16 touchdowns or six touchdowns rushing. And then he's also added 49 receptions for 430 yards and three touchdowns. On the season, so if you include Carolina's time, McCaffrey has 234 carries for 1,094 yards. So he's already pushing 1,100 yards with one game to go, eight touchdowns. And add in the time in Carolina, and you've got 82 receptions for 707 yards and four touchdowns. Put all that together, and Christian McCaffrey has right around 1,800 scrimmage yards and 12 touchdowns. Just an absolute offensive juggernaut. He does whatever you need him. He's averaging 4.7 yards per carry as a runner, which is very solid. And the dude averages 8.6 yards of reception. He just he just does the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just he's everything you need. The guy is just in and among himself, has accounted for 34 first downs. 24 since he's been here. Here's the craziest Christian McCaffrey stat. And obviously I can't 100 percent attribute it to him because of this team sport. But the 49ers before Christian McCaffrey got here. Average 20 points per game. That would be around 23rd to 24th in the NFL. So 
worse than average. Since Christian McCaffrey's been here, the 49ers have averaged 29 points per game, which would put them right behind the Chiefs at 29 points per game. Second in the NFL. You're talking about an offense that has evolved into being as electric as the Chiefs. Statistically, right behind them. 29 points per game to like 29.1, I believe. Anybody who, who, who even mentions the draft picks they gave up for McCaffrey should be shunned. The dude has transformed this team and this offense. There's no other way to put it. It's pretty amazing when you look at it like that. Going from what was at least at the start of the season, and there's some context to that, of course, but at least at the start of the season, the 49ers offense was whatever, forgettable at best. Going all the way through the first, what, six games? But since Christian McCaffrey has gotten here, that shit has been sent to the moon in a rocket ship. From 23rd to 2nd. That's pretty damn impressive. You could probably make a case for Christian McCaffrey to be the team MVP in terms of just how drastically this team changed since he got here. Pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Now that Nick Bosa has been removed from the defensive MVP, I had to give it to Fred Warner. There's a couple other guys that I feel like Obviously make their stamp. Charvarius Ward has transformed. Well, he hasn't been perfect, but he certainly has, has given the 49ers an added bump in coverage and being able to match up with good receivers. Uh, Jimmy Ward has been steady. Sean Gibson has been, a, a you know, for a guy they added in the offseason, has been a, a very solid safety. Eric Armstead's return was immediately felt, but he's missed a lot of games this season. To me, Fred Warner was the easy choice. And and what's crazy about Fred Warner is it's almost an eye test thing. When Fred Warner is not on, the defense is not on. When Fred Warner is flying around, you know good things are happening. The man is probably the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. He's And I always say this, I always mention this when I talk about Fred Warner. That dude is every bit as freaky looking as Nick Bosa is because He's just like, he's, he's close to 6'4". He's fully built out. He's fast as hell. It's like, he's just like this, this uh, like, if you were to take some serum and create a, an elite soldier or something, it would like it might look like Fred Warner. The guy is just an absolute freak. Looks like the Predator running around with that hair. I mean, seriously, think about what you saw in the original Predator movies. Just an absolute yoked dude with these badass dreads. And that's pretty much Fred Warner now. Plays the game like the Predator 2. In terms of pro football focus, he has an uh, an excellent grade of 81.6. 94 tackles on the season. Those are solo tackles. 34 assists. A forced fumble. 57 stops on a play. Essentially, a stop is where they tried to run his direction, and it didn't work. Got a couple of sacks. Let me see if I can get his uh, his pass breakups on here. Mm, coverage. Pass breakups. Six pass breakups on the season. I will never forget the clip of Fred Warner 
covering Marquise Brown, then on the uh, on the Ravens down the field. You're talking about a 6'3", 245-pound linebacker running down the field with a 5'10", 155-pound burner receiver. And he was just making it look easy. I feel like, again, it's it's almost like a it's an eye test thing. It's a feeling. It's a watching. The 49ers defense, and I was asked this by um, by our, our friends over at the Chargers earlier this year. No matter how important Nick Bosa is to this defense, it seems like the defense always goes as Fred Warner goes. He's he's like a a, a, a thermometer for what the defense is doing. If Fred Warner is making plays, the defense is making plays. If Fred Warner's off, the defense is off. And it's just this, I could probably sit here for five hours and come up with the numbers to quantify that, but it's just how I feel. And when I watch this team, and when Fred Warner is flying around and making plays, you know the defense is having a good day. And if Fred Warner's missing tackles, or he's missing coverages, or he's you know being the target of a play, you know the defense is struggling. It's just... They feed off his leadership, off his energy, off his example. It's just, uh, to me, it's it, it. If you can't pick Nick Bosa, it's got to be Fred Warner, and it, and it will be for as long as he's here on this team. Special teams MVP was a pretty easy choice too. Had to be Ray Ray McLeod, and anybody who's watched Ray Ray McLeod knows that this dude is like has been probably a single tackle away from a return touchdown like three or four times. But in terms of his performance as a kick returner and punt returner, he's been solid. He's been everything the 49ers uh, would need for. I was looking at the averages, and he was near the top of the averages um, on almost all the statistics. You know, you got to try and eliminate the ones where the guy had like one punt return and that was it. Oh, these are I'm clear. I, I thought I was on the punt statistic. I was on the punter statistic. I was like, why are all these why are all these stats so huge? But in terms of punt return average, Raven McLeod, I believe, is in the top ten. In terms of punt return yards, he's top three. Kickoff return yards, his average is a little harder to decide because on the website I'm on it, it again, it gives credit to guys who have one return for 50 yards when Ray Ray's returned over 20 yards. Um, in terms of total yardage, though, on kick returns, he's up there towards the top, top five-ish. The dude is, and it's, and it's another eye test thing. He, we started out to where it seemed like the 49ers special teams has gotten into their groove as of late. Over The, the whole team has, let's be real. The whole team has just started winning games like crazy. But he has just been a solid returner. He's gotten the yardage out of him at every time. And when you're talking about punt return averages, I mean, think about what happens on a punt return. The ball's booted super high into the air. If you haven't seen an NFL punt return, it's it's a punt in the air. It's ridiculous. He averages 11 yards of return. So instead of starting on the 30, we're starting on the 41. Instead of starting on the 20, we're starting at the 31. I mean, that is a is a significant number that is a significant number the the best returner in, punt returner in the nfl is avery williams and he has 16.2 yards so ray ray mcleod is just a little bit behind that in terms of total yards he's third in the nfl with 334 yards 
worth of punting. I mean, that's 334 yards that the offense didn't have to gain. Could he be better? Of course. Could he? Has he made some mistakes? Of course. Has he turned over the ball? Uh, has he? Yeah, one time. One time. And you watch these plays, and you see him just one missed tackle away from taking it to the house. And even though we only got one season left, or excuse me, one regular season game left, it would not surprise me in the slightest if McLeod gets one of these during the regular season and takes it to the house. He's just been so close so many times. And then you've got his development into the passing game, which has been good to see. He's got 14 catches for 243 yards. Not a huge number, but he's also averaging 17.4 yards a catch. He's got a touchdown to his name. I don't know if they have the rushing on here. This just looks like receiving. But he has some rushing, some a rushing touchdown too. His longest was a 78-yarder for his touchdown. He averages 19.5 yards a rush. Give the man the ball. I know Kyle Shanahan was giving uh, Debo Samuel a little bit of play on that long, uh, or a little bit of grief on that long Ray McLeod touchdown, saying that, hey, now that we've got the right man running the rock, uh, we'll score on this play because it would have been a play normally reserved for Debo. So uh, when the 49ers signed McLeod, they signed him to be a special teams weapon and some uh, you know auxiliary in the passing game. And he's been exactly that. And he has, in his way, um, really taking the 49ers special team up a notch, especially with what we were used to seeing uh, last season. So I think his his impact has, has been felt immediately. And knowing that if he just got one more block on a few occasions, he would have taken a few to the house. I think his name um, would have been a bit more household, if the best way to say it, and the fact that he would have a few special return, a special teams touchdowns to his name had, had the blocking just been a little better. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Um, obviously, now we're getting into the risers and fallers. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the fallers. I don't want this to be a super negative thing. I'm not going to get into statistics. I'm not going to try and look up reasons as to why the player was bad. But So we'll start with the risers. Got to keep it positive. You can't talk risers without Brock Purdy. Like Obviously, if you're going to talk people that are rising into a new stratosphere, Brock Purdy is already standing on the moon waiting for us. The dude has... As a rookie quarterback, seventh round pick, mystery relevant, who was tasked with being the third quarterback this roster has utilized with already with playoff implications for every win. The dude has just stepped in and been an absolute rock. It's unbelievable. It cannot be said enough. I think that Brock Purdy should be given the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year. I don't care that he's playing in his sixth game and his fifth start. I don't care. I don't care. Don't tell me I don't care. It's unbelievable that he has stepped in and the 49ers offense doesn't look like it skipped a beat from a very solid Jimmy Garoppolo that we had this season. Not only does it not look like it skipped a beat, but it looks like it's it's advanced. It's gotten better. I just think of Homelander. I'm better. Smarter, stronger, better. That's like Brock Purdy right now. The dude is completing 66% of his passes for just under 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. Watching these games, you know a couple of those interceptions. One against the, was just a chuck down field against the Chiefs. The other one was off a drop. So the dude's playing even better than what the eye test would say just looking from the stats. I mean, if you were to take Brock Purdy's stats and extrapolate them over a season, you'd have a guy that was completing almost 4,000 yards, 35 touchdowns, and like eight interceptions. A very solid quarterback play. This is no no joke. He is really playing at a high level. I know everybody's expecting that, 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 that rookie game, that Brock Purdy game, that you know, obviously no one's hoping to see it in the playoffs. Um, will it come? I don't know. It hasn't come yet. And I think it's kind of unfair to sit around and just wait for the dude to make one mistake. He's made mistakes, but he's made up for them with just a an unbelievable composure playing the position for a player as young as he is. It's been unreal to watch. If he wins against the Cardinals, he's 5-0 and as a starter. 6-0 in a game he played a lot in, going all the way back to the, the Dolphins. And that is just unreal. Yes, I know the 49ers roster is immensely talented. But for a rookie quarterback who's undersized, who has below average arm strength, who you know it was, was, was one pick away from being an undrafted free agent, is just lighting up the NFL. You know, it's... The dude went into Seattle and won. <laughs> the dude went up against the Bucks defense and shredded him. Neither of those things are easy. He is playing like the man, and it, it will be very fun to see where this goes. Another riser. Easy, easy for me to pick. Another riser for me. Wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk. The dude has slowly developed into a genuine number one wide receiver. Um, I think if 
Brandon Ayuk were removed from the Vikings offense and um excuse me, if Brandon Ayuk were removed from the 49ers offense and traded with Justin Jefferson and the Vikings, I'm certainly not saying he would be having the same season as Justin Jefferson, but you're talking about an aggressive throwing offense where he would be peppered with targets day in and day out. I think Brandon Ayuk right now would probably have over 1,400 receiving yards. Right now he's got 956 for the 49ers, but he's just a critical piece of the 49ers offense where Justin Jefferson is the Vikings offense. Dalvin Cook hasn't quite been what he has been in the past this year. And I think that Brandon Ayuk is of the same caliber of receiver as as Justin Jefferson. It's just he's in a completely different offense that doesn't get to showcase those types of plays on a routine basis. That being said, he's just established himself as the 49ers' best wide receiver. Uh, Debo Samuels obviously got something to say about that in terms of a versatility and a playmaker type of role. But in terms of just driving the passing offense forward and moving them down the field in chunks and needing a reliable target on third down that just gets open, it's all Brandon Ayuk. 74 catches, 956 yards, averages 13 yards a catch, eight touchdowns which is, I believe, like top five in the NFL. Um, he's just been w- exactly what you need to be. You're talking about in the fourth quarter against the Raiders game. Just in the fourth quarter, Brandon Ayuk had eight catches. Just on the last drive to move them into field goal range, Brandon Ayuk had four catches. Obviously, the kick was missed, but, I mean, you're talking about a guy who has established himself as one of the critical building blocks of the 49ers offense. If the we can't live without these guys. Table was 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 eating dinner. Brandon Ayuk would be at it in terms of the offense. So um, you're talking Brock Purdy, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey. The 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 elite of the elite when it comes to oh Trent Williams too. But you know what I mean. I'm talking about the the uh, the playmakers, the skill players, and I've always thought that was a funny term because like the offensive linemen don't have skills. <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm saying? So I, I, there's only so much I need to say about Brandon. Ayuk. he's just, he's, he's an incredible pass catcher. And I hope the 49ers uh, find a way to pay him because he needs to get paid uh, on the defensive side of the ball. An easy riser is Dre Greenlaw. The 49ers resigned him for, for pennies over the off season, two years. I mean, let me see if I can, I can pull up the actual contract. Like I said, tabs for days. Let's look up Dre Greenlaw's contract. 49ers. Um, is there a way to separate this in terms of defense? Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Dre Greenlaw, they should have it written right here. Two years, 16 million. Getting Dre Greenlaw for two years and 16 million is obscene. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, Fred Warner signed a five-year, $95 million deal. That, and, and I think that Dre Greenlaw is just a slight notch below Fred Warner, and he might be better in some respects. I am not the guy with all the answers to tell you that. But Dre Greenlaw has, has been outstanding. He has allowed this linebacker group to ascend to the heights of the, the Patrick Willis-Navarro-Bowman type of stature. They are that good together. Now, they need to do it year in and year out to kind of earn that real status with uh, in a 49ers uniform. 
but Dre Greenlaw has uh, in in almost every statistical category matched Fred Warner this season. In some cases, he's right behind him, and in some cases, he's ahead of him. The two together have just been outstanding. So to me, Dre Greenlaw is a very easy riser, and I could come up with a lot more of these. I just didn't want to spend too much time on it. Fallers, I'll touch on them real quick. My biggest one that just came to the top of my head was Talanoa Hufunga. And I'm saying that. I'm not saying, when I call somebody a faller, I'm not calling them shit. I'm call, I'm saying that where where their status once was, it's kind of in question, I guess you could say. Talanoa Hufunga started off the season on an absolute tear, just uh, obliterating football games. And since then, and, and this is the way the NFL works, it seems like def- uh, offenses have kind of found a way around him. It, you, we've seen plenty big, plenty of big plays where it seems like Talanoa Hufunga is in tow or in the neighborhood, um, and that is purely an eye test thing. I, and again, I'm not, I'm not even saying Talanoa Hufunga is bad, but compared to the unbelievable status he had to the start of the season, it seems like we've stepped down a bit since there. He allows an 86.6 passer rating in coverage, which is just okay. But is that even his strong suit anyways? He's supposed to be the strong safety. But the way the 49ers use their safeties, they're continually rotating. So you've got to be able to hold your own in coverage. He's only got a 68.8 pro football focus grade, uh, a 63.9 against the run, and a a 68.0 in coverage. So there's... There's more in-depth stats to be had out there, but again, I'm not spending that much time on the fallers. I don't want to be negative. Um, but Talanoa Hufunga, ups and downs, still a young player, uh, and I'm still fairly excited on what he can become as a starter for this 49ers defense. Another one that's impossible not to mention is Javon Kinlaw, uh, and this really is to no fault of his own. Just hasn't been there, hasn't been able to play. The knee, I mean, we heard a lot about after the draft that people didn't even have Kinlaw on their draft board because of whatever they learned from his knees. And sure enough, they've they've held him out of playing a lot of football. He played in 14 games as a rookie, started 12 of them. And then in 2021, he only played four games. And in 2022, he's only played five games. Um, and even in, the, even in those, he's statistically been blanketed. Obviously, he didn't get too many meaningful snaps in those games. So hopefully we see a different version of Javon Kinlaw in the playoffs now that he's uh, come back into the fold. And um, he missed practice today. I don't know if that was precautionary. They've had precautionary absences with him throughout the week since he's been back. But you're just talking about a a player that was drafted with hopes of replacing a DeForest Buckner. Um, Obviously, that's not all the context and minutia involved, but and he just, just hasn't been able to do it. And what's crazy is DeForest Buckner's, one of his absolute best attributes was availability. And uh, that just happens to be uh, Javon Kinlow's downfall so far. Um, we'll see if he can turn it around. It's an important year for him. Uh, third year of his contract. I don't think the 49ers are going to feel any inclination to to do a fifth-year option yet. But that doesn't mean that he can't bowl out in his fourth year and, and turn things around and, and earn a contract, stuff like that. Uh, the third one's the obvious one, Mike McGlinchey. Uh, and again, you're talking about somebody who I'm certainly not saying is bad by any stretch of the imagination. He nearly zeroed out Max Crosby when it came to uh, the stat sheet and his impact into the game. Mike McGlinchey drew that that assignment for most of the game, and he outperformed expectations. He was excellent. 
But in terms of just overall performance, he's allowed five sacks. Um, that's more than the entire rest of the offense combined. He's got 10 penalties, which is top 10 in the NFL. Um, you know, he's got a 71 overall grade, a 65 passing grade, and a 72 run blocking grade. Now, pro football focus is not the end-all be-all. I would have to learn a lot about offensive line play to be able to watch Mike McGlinchey and, and do what they do in terms of grading. Um, but for somebody who in the past has has hung his hat on run blocking, he certainly doesn't seem to be necessarily excelling at that enough to justify what we've seen in the past game. Um, just, again, it doesn't mean that Mike McGlinchey sucks and the 49ers shouldn't keep him around. It just means that his status has, has taken a little bit of a tumble throughout this season. Um, but his performance again, you know, he's in terms of statistically, he's Mike McGlinchey's allowed 24 pressures. He's allowed three hits. He's allowed five sacks. He's had 10 penalties. So there's there's a little bit of a, a resume of of inconvenience there. You know, and you think about the moments where uh, two games ago where he had a, a false start twice in the red zone on two different drives, which is about as bad, it, bad as it gets when it comes to penalties. One of them, I believe, may not have been his fault, but nobody else jumped. jumped so you never know. But uh, – little bit of a stock hit for Mike McGlinchey this year. We'll see where that goes. Um, obviously, a great step against Max Crosby. That was that was pretty impressive. But overall, again, that's kind of the end of the end of the names that I felt like I needed to list specifically. Uh, but that's you're not. I'm not leaving anybody out. I'm not forgetting to mention anybody. You're talking about a roster that's just absolutely chocked full of talent. Um, George Kittle's eight tight ends are. Um, among the most in the NFL, you've got Trent Williams, who's been absolutely spectacular, so much so than we, that we just expect it. Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford have outperformed expectations, along with Jake Brendel. We thought the interior of the offensive line was going to be a huge um, liability this year, and it hasn't been at all. Uh, obviously, with Brock Purdy, George Kittle's kind of ascended back into that elite top two tight end conversation. Um, in terms of, I, I don't have the stat right in front of me, but in terms of uh, like production over the first six years, I think Kittle and Kelsey are just going back and forth. Now, I think Kittle played more as a rookie, but whatever. Debo Samuel's coming back from his injury is expected to play against the Cardinals, probably in a limited role, but to just ease him back into the game. Kyle Juszczyk, the best fullback in the game that the 49ers, frankly, couldn't live without. I probably could have found a place for him on here somewhere. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo played an excellent, excellent season before he got hurt. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Eric Armstead already making a massive impact in returning. The dude straight up stopped a fourth and one almost by himself, shrugging off a double team and knocking blockers out of the way to make the tackle. Um, I kind of mentioned everybody else. Jimmy Ward I mentioned. Sean Gibson I mentioned. Charvarius Ward has been solid. Uh, Diamondville Lenore is, is hanging on there at the very least. That You know, he uh, he probably had a tough day in the film room against the Raiders. But this roster is just absolutely packed full of talent. That's why they're 12-4. and four. That's why they're considered the favorite in the NFC, um, even over the Eagles. It, they're just an unbelievable football team from top to bottom. So don't take me leaving anybody out of that list as any sort of an indictment. I just had to pick guys, you know. All right. Um, last but not least, let's talk playoffs and try and get you up to speed on what's going on out there. Um, in terms of the number one seed, if the 49ers were to get that, 
Um, if the 49ers want to get that, the Eagles have to lose. 49ers win, Eagles lose. Um, the likelihood of the Eagles losing against a Giants team that doesn't seem to be playing all their starters, uh, you know, and the Eagles have something to play for. They want to keep that number one seed, and the 49ers are coming for it if they lose. So the Eagles are going to be playing their talent. The Giants, who are locked into the sixth seed, may not be playing all of theirs, which is still hard for me to believe. I understand. Uh, I mean, Kyle Shanahan doesn't seem to subscribe to the idea of sitting players. Uh, he says that, but maybe he would do it. Um, you know, the, the Giants are essentially giving the Eagles a, a, a win that secures the number one seed. You know, but again, the Giants have nothing to play for necessarily. Their seed is going to be the same. And I believe if the if the Eagles lost the 49ers, they would have to play the Giants again. So maybe the Giants are like, let's not have to do this twice. I, I, I'm not sure. The, the seeding gets weird. Um, the number two seed, if the 49ers win, they've got it. Doesn't matter what the Vikings do. If the Vikings lose, the 49ers got it. Doesn't matter. So the 49ers, if they win, will maintain the number two seed. They can still have the number three seed if they lose and the Vikings win. So they just have to maintain that distance against the Vikings. The only way they're getting a first round bye is if they claim that number one seed. Remember, number two seeds no longer get buys. They used to up until a couple years ago. Um, The most likely scenario for who they're facing in the playoffs seems like it'll be Green Bay. It's Green Bay versus the the uh, the Packers versus the Lions to determine if Green Bay wins that game against the Lions, they're in. They're the they're the seventh seed. They're playing against the 49ers. Should the 49ers have the number two seed? Um, if the Seahawks beat the Rams and the Lions beat the Packers, then the Seahawks are in. If I'm if I'm reading that correctly, so. The Lions, the only way the, the Lions can get in, I believe, is if the Seahawks lose and they beat the Packers. So if they beat the Packers and the Seahawks lose, they're in. So the Lions still have something to play for. And the Lions, I think a lot of people are sleeping on in terms of what they're capable of doing. You've got two great running backs. You've got a suite of great receivers. Jared Goff, hot and cold, but with that that Lions uh, offense, they seem pretty hot. So I'm not necessarily st- I don't necessarily expect the Packers to skate by um, the Lions by any stretch of the imagination because the the Packers haven't been that great to begin with. They're eight and eight. Both teams are eight and eight. The only advantage they have is that it's in uh, it's in Green Bay. So the Lions are traveling to. They're from Detroit, though. You know they can they can have experience with that a little bit of that weather if they want it. Um, and it's an evening game, so. We'll see, man. That that could be a scrap. So that's kind of how it lays out. What I, I think the Packers will probably beat the Lions and the 49ers will face the Packers at Levi Stadium in the first round of the playoffs. Um, that seems like the most likely scenario. That's what I'm expecting. They could face the Seahawks again. Like I said, if the Seahawks beat the Rams and the Lions beat the Packers, the Seahawks are in. If the Seahawks lose and the Lions beat the Packers, then the Lions are in. So. If uh, I believe if the 49ers fall out of the number two seed, they will face the Giants, who are already locked in as the number six seed. So all kinds of scenarios out there. Um, it all kind of hinges on the Lions and Packers game, sort of. You know, if the Lions beat the Packers, then it all comes. Then it goes back to the Seahawks. Did the Seahawks win? Okay, then they're in. Did the Seahawks lose? Nope. Okay, then it's the 
then it's the Lions. So, and if the Packers win that that game against the Lions game, then they're the ones the 49ers are facing should they get the number two seed. So, that's what we're looking at um, in terms of preferences. I. I think I'd probably prefer the Packers. I think that everybody's trying to act like the Packers are like on some heat, but I think the 49ers would, would have something to say about that. I don't think they'd mind facing that Packers team at Levi stadium at all. Um, the lions to me, just seem the lions to me seem like the one I want to face least. I don't know what it is about that team, but the way they can run the ball and the way they can throw it. I understand the 49ers have, Jared Goff's number, but they also have a decent offensive line over there. So you're not necessarily getting the same amount of pressure you might get on him if he was still the Rams quarterback. So for some reason in, in my, in my head, the lions are the the team I don't want to face. Um, but again, this is a 12 and four 49ers team that could have very easily been, been 14 and two. If you look at the, I mean, can we believe they lost to the the Bears and the Broncos. The Bears, yes, that game was an anomaly. Uh, but, I mean, the Broncos, it's just a different team in a different phase. This team has grown so much. I believe a win against the Cardinals on Sunday would make 10 wins in a row, which is pretty damn impressive. That's that's. I don't care what your schedule is. 10 wins in a row in the NFL is, is unbelievable. But, all right, I think that about does it. Talked briefly about the Cardinals. Talked about uh, DeMar Hamlin. Please keep praying for him. Uh, he's not out of it yet. Talked about our, our our quick little regular season awards. Um, and we talked a little bit on uh, playoff seating. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that preview episode. I appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for being a part of Striking Gold. Uh, Y'all know the routine. After that game on Sunday, I will fire off my takeaways tweet, and we'll talk about it together as one. As one, Gladiator. Um, all right, guys. I love you. Thank you for uh, – make sure you guys are downloading the podcast, subscribing to the podcast. Uh, leave us a five-star review if you feel us so deserving. Uh, tell your friends about it. Get on here. Be a part of it. Uh, but I appreciate you just for listening because that's the uh, ultimate form of support. But as you know, for another week, for another episode, not another week, I'll see you. I'll be back here on uh, on Sunday. But I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Striking Gold. I'm Robin. We are signing out. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.